Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The great theoretical physicist Steven Weinberg told me a few years ago that he was getting worried about the state of his subject. Many first-class theoreticians today, he pointed out, have never had the experience of seeing one of their predictions compared with experiment. This strikes me as a good point. Theoretical physicists, at least one specialising in particle physics, are having to work with little new help from nature. So there's a danger that the theories these researchers develop might turn out to be mathematical science fiction, with little or nothing to do with the real world. My name is Graham Farmelow, and I'm the author of The Universe Speaks in Numbers. While I was researching my book, I met with several of the theorists Weinberg was concerned about, and I wanted to interview a few of them to see if they too are unhappy with the state of their subject. I began with Zohar Komogotsky, based at the Simon Centre for Geometry and Physics at Stony Brook University on Long Island. He's widely regarded as one of the most talented theorists of his generation, having done a lot of highly regarded work on quantum field theories, which are the contemporary descendants of the theory of electromagnetism set out by James Clerk Maxwell. Physicists have applied quantum field theories with great success to several parts of the natural world, from the tiny subnuclear domain to the behaviour of ordinary materials under extreme conditions and even to the entire cosmos. Yet theoreticians today still regard these theories as ill-understood with shaky mathematical foundations. And there are some phenomena that can't yet be fully explained by the theory. For example, no one knows how to use the theory to explain in detail why quarks and gluons are only observed in their tiny nuclear environment and never escape to freedom in the world outside. It seems that when two quarks or two gluons become separated by comparatively large distances, the confining force is so strong that they simply can't become free. Last November, I visited the Simon Center and interviewed Komogotsky, who I'd heard was something of a child prodigy in Israel. I began by asking him about his high school education. Open University in Israel, which is a, it's a, the Open University is a framework that allows to combine high school studies along with taking uh, academic courses, uh, in particular in physics or mathematics or computer science or. And did you do f- physics and mathematics there? Yes. yes. Yeah. So it's a very convenient framework if you live far away from a substantial university or if you have a uh, limited time to yeah. pursue academic studies. And then what did you do after you got that? Presumably uh, you got a degree in that way, did you? Well, I have not completed my degree, ah. but I did a significant fraction thereof 
of my degree. And uh, I have later just switched to Tel Aviv University. I transferred to Tel Aviv University. And at Tel Aviv University, I completed my degree. Like There were a few courses that uh, were unavailable at the time at the Open University. So I had to transfer to Tel Aviv University in order to complete the degree. Uh, what did you do for your research degree? For the PhD, I studied uh, under Ofra Haroni and Micha Berkus at the Weizmann Institute in Israel. And I have worked on a wide variety of subjects, but uh, mostly it was um, string theory, in fact. Right. Yeah. So I studied some rather basic questions in, in string theory. And only at the very end of my PhD, I switched to some the study of quantum filters in four dimensions. And I more or less continued uh, the same in my postdoctoral fellowship at Princeton yeah. and later on as when I was a faculty in Israel. Mm-hmm. I was amused to hear that he'd learned quite a bit of advanced physics from the books produced by the UK's Open University, where I was on the faculty for some 12 years at the beginning of my career. Perhaps Zohar had read some of the material produced by my colleagues and I. Anyway, I asked him what he regards as the biggest challenges now facing him and his peers at the frontiers of physics. In my opinion, this time is somewhat unprecedented from the historical point of view in that the, the prevalent physical theory that is used for calculations and for predicting physical phenomena is not yet uh, grounded in solid mathematics. It was already true in the past that sometimes physicists use theories that were not solid mathematically, such yeah. as a, I think that when Maxwell came up with his equations, the theory of partial differential equations was not yet mathematically solid and well-developed, but it came after shortly. So mm-hmm. mathematicians managed to get catch up shortly after. Mm-hmm. And similarly, when Dirac, for instance, used the delta function, I don't think it was mathematically well established, mm-hmm. but mathematicians again managed to catch up quite quickly. However, the prevalent theory nowadays is called quantum field theory. And even though it existed more or less in its current form for around four decades, since the discovery of asymptotic freedom, and around the work of Wilson, mathematicians have not been able to catch up it's not yet uh, mathematically well-defined what quantum field theory means. So some people think that that might mean that uh, it's too hard and the mathematicians may take much more time to understand what it means mathematically properly. But it can also mean that we physicists are not talking about it correctly. It might be that the physicists' understanding is not complete or not yet polished enough, varnished enough, that we can present it to mathematicians in a sufficiently compact form that they can try to understand. Quantum theory has many mathematical problems. What does Komogotsky regard as the toughest challenges? The way physicists deal with quantum field theory is somewhat of a voodoo. It's not a well-established uh, set of axioms right. or rules. In fact, many times in quantum field theory, people invent ad hoc rules or ad hoc approaches to solve certain problems. What do you mean by that? What do you mean ad hoc there? Since the theory is not well-defined, uh, sometimes you encounter problems that are somewhat ambiguous mathematically, and you have to come up with new rules of how to deal with them. And then those rules get accepted and internalized and taught in grad school, and are passed on. And in fact, as you said, it's an unprecedented time because the theory is the most predictive theory that we've mm. ever had. It predicts many interesting observables to many decimal digits. But on the other hand, it's not mathematically solid, and one has to make the rules as one goes, oftentimes. Uh, and that's interesting, and it's unclear what it means long term. But some people think that it might mean that the physicists' understanding of quantum field theory has to be revised. Yeah. Perhaps we're not presenting it in the right form. 
It often seems odd to outsiders that physicists are spending so much time worrying about the apparently extremely successful framework of quantum field theory, which tens of thousands of experiments have supported year after year. Is this without precedent, I wonder? At the LHC, it predicts to an amazing precision uh, scattering experiments at the colliders. It mm-hmm. predicts uh, lots of phenomena in the cosmos in mm-hmm. the context of cosmology inflation and condensed matter physics and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, beyond doubt that this theory is correct. Nobody doubts that. And as far as I know the history of science, I don't think that there was uh, that there is a precedent. I don't think that there was a situation like that, that the physical theory was clearly correct, so precise, and by some, some people even think that it's uh, ulti- the ultimate theory. In some mm-hmm. And yet, um, it's been so many years since... Um, its inception, and yet mathematicians cannot come to grips with it. These days, many leading quantum field theorists also work on the string framework. They're often seen as two parts of a unified subject. What does Komogotsky think of string theory? Uh, use string theory in my uh, research is that string theory has come up with a huge amount of applications for mathematics, but also for strongly coupled quantum filters. So, in fact, string theory makes a very interesting and um, mind-boggling predictions about the dynamics of certain strongly coupled quantum field theories. So, taking these lessons that string theory has taught us, one can try to extrapolate beyond what what string theory has taught us and try to understand what it means for quantum field theory per se. So, for instance, uh, string theory, uh, more than a decade ago, has predicted that there exist consistent quantum field theories in six dimensions. Now, before that, people who have studied quantum field theories uh, have believed that there, is, there are no interesting quantum field theories above four dimensions. But string theory has predicted otherwise. And uh, that led to a very interesting um, line of research that many people were involved and are involved in, whereby they try not, they are trying to understand, is it really true that there are consistent, interesting, non-trivial quantum field theories above four dimensions? Mm-hmm. So this is one example where string theory has been very influential in the study of just pure quantum field theory. And the other examples is that string theory has predicted many interesting dualities, which are dualities. Uh, duality is essentially the idea that two different quantum field theories could describe the exact same universe or the exact same... And yet they look mathematically particles. different. Yes. Yeah. Even though they are mathematically different, they describe exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. And many of the ideas, many of the first uh, instances of duality have come from string theory. And uh, it later turned out that this is a very general phenomenon in quantum field theory, and it's applicable even in many interesting examples in condensed matter physics, not just in particle physics. So basically, in my research, I use string theory as an inspirational tool for interesting questions that are concerned with quantum field theory. It's sometimes said that the string framework is not the only viable quantum account of gravity, and that there are other ways of approaching the problem, such as the so-called loop quantum gravity theory. What does Komogotsky think of that theory? Well, I've, I, I don't have any, any particular thing to say in favor of loop quantum gravity. I do not see anything interesting that loop quantum gravity has so far taught us about quantum field theory or mathematical physics or even gravity. At the moment, I'm not really employing quantum gravity in any way in my research. It seems to me that the modern way of doing theoretical physics might be characterized as attempting to develop a better understanding of experimentally well-founded theories and their underlying mathematics. Does Komogotsky agree? To what extent this is modern? I think that uh, practice has been 
around for probably a hundred years by now. As far as I know, like people such as uh, Bohr and Einstein and Dirac probably employed the same line of uh, inquiry. They probably studied whatever was of interest of them mm. to, uh, at the heart of the foundations of physics. Yeah. And uh, they were you know, lucky enough that some things of practical value came out of the research. And I still believe that that's the case, that if you study the foundations of theoretical physics, it's, uh, it's uh, very likely that eventually there will be some practical outcomes of that kind of research. But I think it's fair to say, uh, forgive me if I'm misrepresenting your view, but I don't sense that you and you and your colleagues are sort of hanging on uh, the experimental outputs at the Large Hadron Collider, for example, or the latest experiments on uh, solid uh, condensed matter physics or what have you. That's my understanding. of You're, you're more focused on the... Right. There is a, the, the idea is that since this framework of quantum filter has been, at least for me, as far as I'm concerned, established beyond doubt to be a correct physical framework, and it has been tested in lots of experiments, and I take it for granted that it's a, you know, the, the, a valid physical framework that's, that describes the real world as well as many condensed matter systems. So it's, it's a legitimate question to ask about the foundations of that framework. And as I said, the foundations of that framework are not yet completely understood. So since this framework is so far-reaching and it's so common, in my view, it's a more or less imperative that if you study the foundations of that framework uh, deeply and you find new ways to think about it, it will have applications which are far-reaching in terms of like the applications to particle physics and condensed matter physics and whatnot. If somebody said to you that, that, that theoreticians today, I'm, I'm, this is the sort of thing you might say after nine o'clock after a few drinks, but if you were said, well, well, modern theoreticians don't care about experiment, would you, would you reject that? Oh, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Uh, we do care deeply about the experiments, and uh, I follow the experiments, and I talk to experimentalists, ah, both right. in particle physics and in condensed matter physics. Yeah. We definitely care very much about experiments. But the line of research is uh, around the foundations of theoretical physics or mathematical physics. It's not so tightly wound with experiment. It's more, it's more like a, a self, a self-propelled or self-sufficient inquiry into the foundations of the theoretical framework that okay. we're using. But of course, we're very much in tune with the experiments. And in fact, I have done some phenomenology too in the past, where I studied some. Uh, experiments and anomalies and experiments. And so if something really interesting and surprising came out of the Large Hadron Collider, like tonight, yeah. I would probably drop everything and switch to oh, you? Oh, really? Ah. I, mean, I think that would be the case for most people. If something really stunning and uh, unexpected would have been announced, uh, definitely I would, switch, I would start thinking about it. I would read the paper or see the reports and try to think about okay. it. And okay. I think anybody would have done that. In the lack of, uh, since now there is a somewhat, some shortage of stunning or exciting experimental discoveries, then one is compelled to think more about the underlying theoretical issues. Many of the investigations of modern theories are based on supersymmetry. But the Large Hadron Collider hasn't so far discovered any empirical evidence to support the idea that this symmetry really does apply to the real world. Is Komogotsky worried? Everybody finds it uh, disappointing that supersymmetry has not shown up in the collider. Supersymmetry is a beautiful idea that extends the symmetries of space-time beyond the, you know, the familiar symmetries that include uh, rotations and translations. And It would have been great if uh, the Large Hadron Collider has shown any signs of an extended space-time supersymmetry. That would have been amazing. But it has, it has failed to do so, uh, which is 
not in contradiction with anything, but it's uh, somewhat disappointing, obviously. And so one is compelled to look at other aspects of uh, theoretical physics. It's not, supersymmetry is not the only, the only thing that's uh, going on in town. There are other things which are equally interesting. But you still use it, don't you? You still use supersymmetry yes, in your right? supersymmetry. The way I use supersymmetry is more like uh, string theory, in the sense that supersymmetry is a framework that allows you to probe much more about quantum field theory than you can normally do. And you can learn many interesting lessons out of supersymmetry. And recently there has been a lot of activity where people leverage some old results in supersymmetry to obtain interesting results that are of interest to condensed matter physics, for yeah. instance. So supersymmetry is still a very relevant and interesting and deep topic. And the fact that it hasn't shown up in the collider is disappointing, but it's not the game changer. Some critics say that fundamental physics is becoming less and less related to the real world. I wondered if Komogotsky is ever concerned that his subject is beginning to break loose from its roots in experiment and that it might end up being a branch of mathematical philosophy. I don't see it as a concern. I think that uh, if the subject naturally evolves towards more mathematical directions, it might be a blessing. It's not necessarily a curse. I think that um, there will be interesting things to find out whether or not the forthcoming experiments will be expensive or not. Uh, first of all, there might be unexpected discoveries from astrophysics and cosmology. For instance, gravitational waves uh, may open horizons into the kind of you know, high-energy physics that we have not had access to in the past. It might teach us more about black holes than we have ever expected to know. Uh, there are surprises all the time, and I, I count on those surprising recurring. I count on the fact that there will be amazing new things that nobody thought about that would open new open the floodgates to mm-hmm. more interesting research and new directions. I mean, if everything progressed more or less linearly, as as you say, that experiments become more and more expensive and we have less and less interesting questions to study, uh, that that would be very dull and boring. So, mm-hmm. uh, and you wouldn't want to be part of that kind of thing. So I, I take it that you're, you, you really are completely comfortable in, in, in the environment in which you, you found yeah. yourself uh, working now. I mean, I, I find uh, nowadays, at least, I'm extremely happy. I've, I have lots of interesting problems to work on that mm-hmm. keep, me, keep, me, you know, keep me thinking day and night, keep me occupied. And I'm very happy and content. And, and I believe there will be surprises in the future that will take us to some new directions that will be equally interesting, if not more interesting. It's good to hear that Zohar is quite happy at the frontiers of theoretical physics. He's plainly having a rewarding time and believes that he and his colleagues are making palpable progress. I was struck by his comment that if experimenters came up with a really juicy new clue, he'd drop everything and work on it. This perhaps reinforces the view that although the universe speaks to us powerfully in mathematics, it speaks most authentically through observations and experiments. (laughs) 